Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Once you open your Bibles to Second Chronicles, can you give it up for our band and our team? Tell them how great they did. Amazing. Go to Second Chronicles chapter twenty, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna do uh, finish our last little installment of this series called Fight Right. We've been uh, looking at what it means to be a Christian and to fight. And we've been looking at not just what it is to fight, but we've been looking at what it is to fight right. That some of us haven't been walking in victory in areas of our life it's not because God has not already done it on the cross or his blood or his presence is not powerful to overcome whatever it is that you're battling. But somehow we can sometimes get caught up fighting wrong. But if you learn how to fight right, we know what it is to operate in the victory that's already been won for us. That this is an important message that us as Christians need to grab of a hold of in our spirit because God has called us to be people that advance and move forward, to move forward into greater things, to go from glory to glory, to take new ground, to establish God's kingdom, that there are greater things that God has for you, but we've got to know how to fight. And uh, so we're going to do the last, this last little message on this, and I want to, um, I want to share from, from this story, and we're just going to read a few verses, and we'll, we'll jump all over throughout this story, but I'm going to preach primarily from these few verses in Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 13. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came, came upon Jehaziel, or Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, Verse 15, and he said, listen, all you, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. When we read these verses, I want you to take this for yourself. This is the Holy Spirit inspired word of God, and it is applicable to your life right now for this moment. Whatever it is that you are walking through, if you would receive it by faith, this word will guide you through it. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. The word dismayed means to break down. Don't have a breakdown. That's what he's saying. Look at someone say, don't have a breakdown. Find someone that looks like they're on the brink of a breakdown and say, don't have a breakdown. He says, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. He's speaking of the fight that is in front of him. He says, don't be afraid. Don't break down. Don't fall apart. Look at this. Why? For the battle is not yours, but God's. I want to read it again and maybe some more people will get it. The battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 16, he says, tomorrow, go down against them. Show up for the fight. Don't sit back and do nothing and expect like it's just going to happen without you. You've got to get up and take your position. He says, show up, get down there, get on the battlefield, be present, be active. And he says this, go down against them. Verse 17, 
you will not need to fight in this battle, but position, say position, position yourself. I love this story. Stand still, tell someone, quit moving, quit moving, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He says, I want you to go down to the battle. I want you to go down right to where the middle of the fight is. But I want you to stand there and I want you to not, not fight. Because remember, you don't fight something that's already been defeated. That would be a waste of energy. I want you to go down to the battle and I want you to stand there and you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know this. If you will take this word by faith over your life right now for this moment, you're about to get a front row seat to the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. You got box seats, you're courtside right now, and you're about to see God move in your life if you would take it by faith. He says, go down there, go down there. Don't hand back, go down there. Sit courtside and you're going to see it. It's going to happen right in front of you. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Oh, Judah and Jerusalem. He says it again. Do not fear or be dismayed. Remember week one, we talked about getting rid of fear. He says, don't fear or be dismayed. Again, don't break down tomorrow. Go out against them for the Lord is with you. These are powerful verses. Do you receive it already over your life? Come on, how many of you receive these verses? How many of you have enough faith to even just grab these verses before I preach them and let them just preach themselves and say, do a sermon or not? That right there is the word of God and I'll take it for my life and I can walk in the victory that Jesus Christ has won for me because his word says it. I want to preach this last, this last installment of Fight Right and I want to preach from this thought. The fight is fixed. I want you to look at someone that looks like they're taking a beating. And I want you to say to them, the fight is fixed. That person was stuck up. Find someone else. Find someone and tell them. Maybe you need to remind them because maybe you found someone that looks like they're trying to find a fight, fight a fight in their own strength and remind them that this fight you are in right now that feels like it's going to beat you is not going to beat you because this fight is fixed. Tell someone it's fixed. Say it's fixed. The battle's already been won. This fight is fixed. Jehoshaphat was somebody that was doing great things for God. He was a king. He was the king of Judah. He was kicking goals. He was winning. He was advancing the kingdom. He was right where he needed to be. And even though he was right where he needed to be, there was still a battle that he had to fight. And this is important because we need to be reminded that not every battle you fight is indicative of a life that's being lived outside of the will of God. Sometimes we start thinking, why am I facing this? Am I doing something wrong? Why am I coming up against this? I seem to be facing fight after fight. That Sometimes the presence of a battle is an indicator that you are exactly where you need to be. Sometimes... 
the presence of a fight, sometimes the simple fact that the enemy is coming against you is a reminder that maybe you are praying something that the enemy does not want to see you walk in. That maybe you've got faith for something over your business. That maybe there's business leaders in here and business people in this room that just want to go about doing their business and just make a lot of money and do nothing for the kingdom. But I do believe that there's some business people in this room that believe God God has ordained you to use that business to advance the kingdom of God. That maybe there's people here in this room that when you show up to work, you're not just walking in there like it's a job. You're walking in there like it's a calling, like there's a purpose upon it. And the enemy doesn't want you to walk in that calling or walk in that purpose. That maybe there's some parents here and you're praying some things over your kids that are not just silly little watered down kumbaya happy clappy little prayers, that you're praying things over your kids, that they would be world changers, that you're praying things over your kids, that they would not go down the path that the enemy has for them, that you're praying things over your kids, that they would be kids that would carry the presence of God. Maybe, maybe it's those prayers that the enemy does not like. Maybe there's some married couples in here that you don't believe and accept the lie that this marriage is just going to be five, ten years and end in divorce. That maybe you're going to go against the culture. Maybe you're going to go against the grain and say, you know what? My word tells me that what God brought together, let no man tear apart. The covenant is important. Maybe there's some married couples in here that are praying some prayers that hell does not want you to pray. That sometimes the greatest indicator that you are exactly where you need to be is simply because you are facing some battles. You're facing some opposition. And this was Jehoshaphat. He was, he was up against some stuff. He was facing some things. And this battle comes up against him. But the Bible says in these few verses that we read, I want to show you a little bit of a, a pattern or a theme throughout these few verses that we read, that at the start in verse 13, he says, Now all Judah, with all their little ones, their wives, and their children, they stood before the Lord. Further down, he says in verse 16, Tomorrow, this is God speaking to him, he says, Go down against them. In other words, take the position that I'm telling you to take. And then, in fact, in verse 17, he, said that, he says that very word. You, you, you're not going to have to fight this battle, but you do need to position yourself. Then he says to him, stand still. I want you to see this reoccurring theme throughout these three verses in regard to Jehoshaphat's position. The position. The fight is fixed. But in order for you to walk out... The victory that has been won, you have to have the right position. You got to be where God wants you to be. You cannot be just floating off left and right, wandering around. You got to be right in the middle of the victory that Jesus Christ has won. Your position matters. Some of you don't get to see the power of God, and it's not because His power is weak, it's because your position is off. 
If I was to tell you that there's a light globe and you go over to the light globe and you, you know, I was to tell you that there is power behind that light globe, that would be one thing. But if you changed your position and walked over there and removed the bulb and stuck your finger in there, how many know I wouldn't have to tell you much about the power because you would have just encountered that power for yourself. But you got to encounter it, not because you stood back and watched, but you changed your position, and because your position changed, you encountered the power. That our position is very important. That there are mindsets that we have sometimes that hold our position, get our position off where God has called us to be. That if we want to walk in the victory of a fight that has been fixed on your behalf, the fight is fixed in your favor. But you will not experience the victory unless you have the right position. Your position matters. He says this, and I want you to see this is important. I want to give you real quickly to write down. I want to give you four ways to position yourself to win. Because this is important. Yes, the fight is fixed. But if you're not positioned correctly, you will not walk out the victory that has been won in In chapter 20, verse 1, at the start of the story, it says this. It happened after this that the people of Moab, speaking of the people that are coming against Jehoshaphat, with the people, Ammon, and those that are with them beside the Amorites came to battle against them, against Jehoshaphat. In verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. So Judea gathered together to help to ask help from the Lord and from the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. The first thing that I want to show you on are ways to position yourself to win. And this one's an interesting one. And when we first say it and look at it, it sounds like it shouldn't fit. But I want to show you that it's important. First way to position yourself is through your problem. The start of this story starts off by talking about the problem. Jehoshaphat. There's some dudes coming against you. There's a battle in front of you. But look at Jehoshaphat's response. Because of the problem, Jehoshaphat sets himself to seek the Lord. Bible says, because of the problem, if it was not for the problem, Jehoshaphat wouldn't have had to set himself. If it was not for the problem, Jehoshaphat wouldn't have had to fast, wouldn't have had to gather them together in unity, wouldn't have had to believe, wouldn't have had to press in, wouldn't have had to draw near, wouldn't have had to praise, wouldn't have had to seek God. If it was not for the problem, he would not have been positioned where he was positioned, that being somebody that would seek the Lord. Some of you, you need to change your response to your situation. Some of you, your problem, you're not beating your problem. Your problem's beating you, and it's because you've got a wrong response. But if you would change your response and allow your problem not to pull you away from him, but to push you toward him, you would have an encounter with God, and your problem would start working for you. Your problem can actually position you. It won't always position you, but it can if you want it to. 
In Zechariah 4 and verse 10, he says this. He says, do not despise the days of small beginnings. And that sounds good and it preaches pretty and it, and it tweets nice. But we've got to understand what he's saying in the context of this. He's saying, don't despise the days where there's problems. Don't despise the times where you don't have enough. Don't despise those moments where the breakthrough hasn't happened yet. Don't just skip over those times where you're feeling lonely and you're feeling alone. Don't despise that. Don't despise those moments where the miracle hasn't happened because those are the times where you can have the greatest encounters. Don't despise it. Use it to your advantage. Work the problem. Work your wilderness. Use it. Work it so that it can position you to where God wants you to be. Your problem can work for you. Your problem can work for you. It positioned him. The second thing, if you keep reading the story, it says, then Jehoshaphat. So he hears the problem. They say, bro, there's some dudes coming out after you. This is not looking good. But he says he, he set himself to seek the Lord. He called together. Notice that he pulled everybody together. It says the women, the wives. It says all of the land. He recognized that what he was coming up against required a level of unity in order for them to walk out the victory. I wish the modern day church would get this. I wish we would quit picking reasons for us to be dis, for us to not be united. I wish we would quit identifying differences that we have and using those differences to cause a separation. I wish we would just forget all of it and put Jesus Christ as the focus and say, you might worship different and you might pray different and you might sing different and your service might be different and there might be some different doctrinal differences where we're off, off a little bit. But if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that's enough for us to pull together and get unified and get our focus off ourselves and on the lost people and start winning people to Jesus and start representing the love of Jesus Christ and a unified church. He says, where there is unity, I will command a blessing. Maybe the reason we are not walking blessed as a church at large is because we are not unified. That you can keep praying for blessing and say, God, I'm believing for you to do this and believing for you to do that. And maybe all the time we're saying, God, I'm believing for this. He's looking at us saying, quit believing and just start doing what I've told you to do and get unified and the blessing will come. So he gathers everyone. But then he says down here, then Jehoshaphat. He stood in the assembly in verse 5 of Judah and Jerusalem. So he gets together and he goes before the court in the house of the Lord. He gets to the church. He said this. He starts to pray in verse 6. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Look at this dude's prayer. He's frustrated. He's fr Have you ever prayed frustrated prayers to God? Okay, you're all too holy. Listen, listen, I've had those moments. I have them all the time. When my prayer life, listen, my prayer closet is an ugly place. We act like it's all pretty. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come? Don't, let's, let's be real. Sometimes I get before God and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Are you for real? Have you ever started a prayer? 
You ever started a prayer with, hey, are you joking me? This is what he's going. He says, oh, Lord God of our fathers, did you not, did you not create heaven and earth? What are you doing this to me for? This is how he pray, his prayer prays. And he keeps going. Verse 7. Are you not our God who drove out our inhabitants? He's saying, listen to this language, church. We can catch something here because we all get so caught up trying to be all pretty, airy-fairy, religious crap that is not truth and is not honest. But if we would get honest before God, God is attracted to honesty because he loves relationship. Your prayer life would go through the roof if you started really telling him what was on your heart. I lost half of you because I said crap. Listen, stay with me. Are you not, he says, are you not our God? Are you not our God? God, do you not have this? Are you not meant to be blessing me? But I'm broke. Are you not, is your hand not meant to be upon my kids? Why are they doing what they're doing? Is my life not meant to be blessed? Why am I in this place? This is how this prayer starts. Notice that his position is off. But you know what he does? He keeps praying. He keeps praying. Because God is not intimidated by our honesty. We think we've got to try and be something. It's like we're behind stage getting ready before we come out to God. Hey. Newsflash, he knows what's going on. He can see behind your pretty stage. And he just wants you to be honest. And he, so, so he comes and he says, are you not? But then look at this, verse 7. Are you not God who drove out our inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Question mark. God, where are you? And they dwell in it. And have built your sanctuary. God, I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm being faithful in, in, in it for your name's sake. Look at verse 9. We see it shift. Because he kept praying. Because he stayed in that prayer place. And he kept airing it. And he kept speaking it out. Watch his position shifts. Verse 9. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judge, judgment, I'm sorry, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence. For your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction. Look at this. And you will hear and save. See how the prayer has shifted. See how it started in frustration, but it ended in faith. The second thing that will change your position is your prayer life. If you make a decision that you're going to pray and you're going to come before God and you're going to do what David said and you're going to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, that you're not going to be so quick to come and just bring your request before God, but you're going to start your prayer life by praising him for who he is. You will start looking at your request filtered 
through a reminder that your God is faithful, that your God is able, and through your prayer life, you will shift your position from one as a victim to one as a victor. We've got to know what it is to get before God in prayer and start by saying, God, that's why it's powerful. When you begin by giving God praise, that's why we start services with giving God praise. We don't do it because we love karaoke. We do it because it's powerful. Praise goes first. It's a reminder that what you're going through, God, you're big. God, I feel like I'm walking through hell, but you're able. God, you're my provider. God, you're guiding me. God, you're directing me. And then all of a sudden, your spirit starts to speak to your flesh. And you walked in feeling down, but you walk out feeling up because that is the power of praise. Why don't you give him praise right now and just remind yourself that your God is able. Your position, it changes prayer. Prayer changes your position. It changes your position. And so he goes on, and then look at this. When they're praying, he finishes praying. Now old Judah with their little ones, they're all gathered. They stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, or Jehaziel they pronounce it. Hang on a second. Wasn't it Jehoshaphat that was praying? The Spirit of God didn't come upon Jehoshaphat. It came upon Jehaziel. And God used Jehaziel to speak the promise to Jehoshaphat. You know what else can help you get the right position? He's the right people. Because sometimes the position that you're in is so dark that you cannot see a way out on your own. That's why you've got to have the right people around you. You need the people around you. The Bible says there is safety in a multitude of, keyword wise counsel. Not some idiot that you met on Instagram that you've never met in your life before, but because they follow you now and like your photos, you think they're your best friend and you put more weight in what they say than the word of God says. You've got to get some wise counsel. You've got to get, so listen, if your best friend has been divorced five times and is cheating on her current husband, probably not the best person to be speaking into your relationship. You need some wise counsel. You've got to get the right people. There is safety in a multitude of wise counsel. You need someone that can speak into your life that has gone through, not just going through. We gather people often that are going through what we're going through, and that's okay, but you need to have people that have gone through, because the people that have gone through have gone through it and have authority over it, so they can reach back into you that are still in it and say, don't stay where you are. I've been through this. I beat that giant. I defeated that devil, and watch me help you get out of this. It's having people, people, look at this verse, it's so powerful, James 5 and 16. He says, confess your sins to one another. To one another. It feels like it should say to God, doesn't it? Doesn't it? We would think, hang on, don't I confess my sins to God? No, you confess your sins to God for forgiveness, but you confess your sins to one another for healing. 
Confess your sins to one another. What does that mean? Let's, let's put it, do you know what that is essentially saying? It says, if you're going through something, talk to someone about it. And so much healing will happen in that moment because there's power in right community. That's why we have small groups in church. We don't create small groups because we get bored between Monday and Saturday. And we got nothing to do as a staff. And all we do is on Sundays is sing songs and preach. And we just get bored. So we want to just create little churches all around Orange County just for the sake of it. No, there's a strategy. We are trying to give you opportunity to create community. But you know what? You'll get out of small groups absolutely nothing if you do not position yourself. Some of you are not experiencing the power of what God wants to do through the small group around you because you have not made a decision to put the right people around you, the people that when you're feeling down can pick you up, the people that when you cannot hear God, that will help speak the word of God over you and remind you that while you're down, you don't have to stay down. You can get back up because he has won the fight for you and your fight is fixed. It's all to do with your position. First is your problem. Second is your prayer life. Third is people. Keys come because otherwise I'll keep preaching too long. And the, and, and the last one, and then we're going to look at something. The last one is actually something that I touched on last week. And I want to hit it in a different light because it's important. What he was doing. When Yehaziel started to speak over Zechariah, he's saying the battle is not yours, it's God. This was a promise because it was coming from God. It's not yours, it's God. You're going to beat this thing because your fight is fixed. And he's already won it for you. You just got to stand your ground. This was promises. He was speaking over him. Fourth one, the fourth thing that positions us to win is a promise. Last week I talked about what it was to, to stand, to stand on a promise. But the reason why the promise is important and the promise helps position me is the promise shows me where I can be. Better than that, it shows me where I should be. So what's that look like? If I have a unsafe family members that have been unsaved seems like forever. And I'm the first person that got saved out of my family. And I've accepted a lie from the enemy that I'm just going to be the first person saved and yes, I'll raise my kids different and they're going to be saved and my actual family that I'm going to establish will be saved and that's going to be amazing. But I stopped believing for my immediate family to be saved because I've never seen them saved. And all I've seen is them being lost. And all I've known is them being lost and addicted all around me. So this is my position. But your position is contrary to the promise. Because Joshua said, as for me and my house. Now, if you see that word and you take that word as Holy Spirit inspired for your life, you can, if you want, you can take what Joshua declared over his family as a promise for your family. 
You can either stay where you are and accept the lie of the enemy that your family's always getting me away from God. Or you can see where the promise is. And the promise says that all your family will be saved. So you're going to position yourself, not where you are right now, but upon what the Word of God says the promise is. And you will position yourself where the victory is. Because your fight is fixed. Your fight is fixed. What you're up against right now has already been won. Because the thing about a fixed fight, in a fixed fight, a previous payment has already been made. Before you even got in the ring, the fight was already won. So what do you have to do in a fixed fight? You just got to show up. It'll be the easiest fight you ever fought in your life. Listen, you got to show up. You got to stand there. And just hold your ground. And you know what? In a fixed fight, maybe, maybe you'll take a few hits. But if you just make a decision when you get knocked down, that you're not going to stay down. You're going to just get back up and you might be cut and you might be tired and you might be bleeding. But all you got to do is hold your ground and last to the end and you will walk out victorious because your fight is fixed. I'm going to finish. Are you ready? Can I give you one last thing? I'm going to anyway. Listen, 22, verse 22. This is awesome. God is so good. Do you know how good the Word of God is? Six of you. I'm going to preach to those six. Listen. So listen, listen. This, bro, listen. This is a battle. It's a fight. You study these fights. We look at them like Moabites and Jezebelites and the cellulites and they all come down. Listen, listen. We, we, we think of it. Come on, some of us are fighting cellulites. Listen. Don't look at no one. Listen, stay, stay focused. He's, we think it's just a couple of dudes. You're talking hundreds of thousands of killers. I mean, these dudes are bad. This is like 300 stuff, okay? They, these cats show up. They're not messing around. These dudes back then, I mean, dudes were dudes back then. We, we're all a little pretty today. These guys are not pretty. Listen, they're not little, little pretty boys. These dudes are killers. Take your head off. David, if you read the story of David, David chucked, sword Goliath's head off, picked up his head and dragged it back to the king and said, job done. Listen, bro, that's bad. Come on, David, bro, that dude, how bad are you going to feel dragging Goliath's head? Job done, finished. What's next? These guys are real deal. But look at this. There's a battle in verse 22. The fight's on. The soldiers are lined up, the opposing soldiers. And then here comes Jehoshaphat with his men. Look at this. Now, when they began to sing, what? Yeah, they began to sing. 
and to praise. Bro, listen. This is a battle scene. What are you doing singing? These cats are ready to kill you. And Jehoshaphat's like, holy, there is, I know I can't sing, I don't care. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes. This one, listen. This dude, listen. Talk about, talk about throwing the enemy a curveball. You ever, back in the day, like before we were saved, and you pick a fight with some dude, and just when you're about to fight, he starts doing something that you didn't expect, like some random twitch? Hey, you like, like, you're like this, and he's like, listen, listen, let me tell you something. If that happens, get out of there. Because that cat is capable of anything. That's what's going on here. They show up to fight, and they're worshiping. I preached a message on this once a few years ago. Called, it was called this, When Worship fights for you. It's a great message. I used to love it. I used to feel really good about it until this week. Because I realized that worship didn't win the battle. Worship was what they did in the battle. But it wasn't their worship that won the battle for them. Remember last week? It was the faith that it took to walk out on a battlefield with no weapon, no sword, no spear, and just a singing voice. It was the faith that it took to raise their hands in the middle of dudes that wanted to kill them and start to worship and praise that actually won them the battle. If you would let your faith, that's last week, fight for you. Listen, can I keep reading? You'll get to lunch, I promise. We're doing okay. For people stood against them. The inhabitants of Mount Sir. Listen, when they began to sing, let's back up, let's turn to When they began to sing and to praise, look, look at this. The Lord set ambushes. Who did it? Who did it? They didn't do it. The Lord did it. Remember, let your faith fight for you. The Lord did it. He set ambushes against the people. Look at this. Verse 23, for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Sur to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Sur, they helped to destroy one another. What happened? When, when Jehoshaphat and his dudes started worshiping, the enemy turned on each other. Start, these jokers started killing each other. So Jehoshaphat just kept singing. Because, bro, if it works, just roll with it. Keep singing. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. This is where it gets good. 
25, verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off them for themselves more than they could carry away. These dudes walk out onto a battle, start singing, slaughter the whole army. Then these cats walk over to the dead bodies and start taking valuables off the dead bodies. Bro, you are mean if you're doing that. Take it. I mean, it says precious things. They're stripping Gucci bags off these jokers. Come on, ladies, little red bottom shoes. They're ripping those. Rolexes, Louis Vuitton. But look at this. This is the best part of the whole deal. And some of you are going to get it and some of you aren't. But I got it this week, so I'm pumped. They're taken. They're taken from these dudes. The dudes that they thought they were going to have to battle against ended up blessing them. Without, that's not, that's good, but the next thing's even better. So they're taken. They're taken. They're taken. Day one. They spend a whole day loading up on stuff. Man, can you believe this? I thought these dudes were going to smoke us. I'm taking his Rolex, bro. Let's go. Come on. Get it. Get it. For one day, they're loading up. Day one. Day two, look what your Bible says. And they were there for three days gathering spoil because there was so much. How many days? How many days? It took them three days because there was three days worth of blessing. That God had for him. How many days? Three days. It took him to walk in everything that God had for them. Why did it take him three days to pick up everything God had for them? Because if you would remember, that's why the Bible's so powerful, because this was written before Jesus. That's why you know it's Holy Spirit inspired. Because if you know your Bible, you will know that at Easter time, we will celebrate something else that happened in three days. How were they able to get three days worth of blessing? Because it cost your Savior three days to pick it up for you. Your fight has been fixed. been fixed. Why has it been fixed? Because he has already paid price. What do you got to do? Just show up to that thing. And I feel good. Don't worry. Feelings don't matter. Just get in the ring. I'm scared. Don't worry. Fear doesn't matter. Just get in the ring. Get enough faith to get you in the ring. Even if you've got a lot of fear, it doesn't matter. It's about what you focus on. Get your focus off the fear and onto the faith and you will walk out victorious. Keep standing because your fight has been fixed. I wish someone would give God praise. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. 